0: Hey, this is Look at My Records. Really thrilled to be here with Max Feinstein at your beautiful studio here in Hoboken, New Jersey. Silver Horse Sound. I'm feeling right at home here today. Thank you for having me.
1: Thank you for being here. Glad to be accommodating.
0: So you opened this studio around 2012?
1: Yeah, it started as a place to record my own album. I did a uh, a record in 2012 called Round of Sound, and when we found this place, it was just kind of just this room, just the single control room with a, um, you know, the drum set was over on the one wall, and the amps are over on the other wall. And through the years, it's kind of grown and gone from being a personal project space to something that we could really just be a, a service and a tool to the benefit of the, the Hudson County music scenes.
0: Yeah, it's, you're a big part of the Hudson County music scene. You've played a big supporting role in a lot of different bands, recording artists and the like. How'd you get started recording other artists' music? You said this started as a personal studio space to work on your own music, but you've really become known for your roles in recording other artists and playing with other artists as well.
1: The, the short answer is water music. The short answer is water music because I had always been in bands recording, but my first real experience was water music. Uh, I went to high school at the Hudson School in Hoboken over on Park. And uh, a buddy of mine, a year older than me, just a complete fucking genius of a human being. Nice, like the guy who drops out of high uh, out of college because he's making too much money. Like, uh, but in his sophomore year of high school, he made his own tube amp and interned at Water Music. And he interned at Water Music through like the early. 2000 so like well like like oh three oh four oh five maybe he he'd had an internship briefly there but rob would just throw him the keys and and one of the first real experiences i had was new year's day 2004 with a band i was in called fuha in high school <laughs> just a shitty high school band we used to rehearse under elf Lamboyon, where the drummer's mom had her little beauty salon on the other side of the shower curtain and somehow we're in studio B at water music with like real to real tape and just a legit as they come studio experience. And I was just captivated by that and by guys like Steven Wilson, who did a lot of shit themselves. So I eventually ended up interning
0: at water music. That's really incredible Uh, just to have been even in Water Music, record at Water Music, and then intern at Water Music. Such a a legendary studio in Hoboken where the list of artists that have recorded there is really diverse when you really get down to it and look at it. And being a part of the bigger Hoboken music community with Water Music and Maxwell's, What were some of your favorite experiences uh, interning there and recording there?
1: Um, So while I was recording there, Ted Young was there with Cindy Lauper. Wow. And this is the story I've heard like secondhand because I was in the bathroom, but apparently Lauper wasn't so thrilled that there were other bands in the space while she was there or something like that. And if I remember correctly, uh, I was told that Cindy Lauper kind of poked her head into Studio B, and just kind of gave everybody a stank face or something. Like she just she she expressed her disapproval in a way. <laughs> and I'm just in the bathroom, and I come back, and they're like, "You don't know what you fucking missed, dude."
0: So Whoa. so
1: that's just this little thing. I'm sure it was a dot on her on her career you know i don't even know what it was it might have been like a a mixing of a greatest hits thing yeah um in my personal experience working at water music i would say some of the most outstanding things we'll talk about uh two of them a little later when we talk about the the the, your the the spotify sure but seeing dispatch reunite cool is a big highlight for me yeah that was uh, one of the moments where it seemed that I was more excited about it than my peers or my mentor uh, at the time because Dispatch was a big deal for me. But uh, also getting to meet John yellow and befriend John yellow because he did uh, this outstanding record there uh, for a Norwegian group called Kitschi Kitschi that That is a personal favorite. I might like the record. I, I might be the, their biggest fan in America. As uh, That's the joke yellow tells is like, you are the biggest fan of that record, dude. And I'm like, probably, it's awesome. Um, other than that, JMO from the Allman Brothers was recording uh, his his record Renaissance Man during my time there and, and getting to meet him and getting to bond with him, having him cook steaks in the microwave. Like, it was, it was just, that was all just a lovely time.
0: Yeah, that sounds incredible. And to work with John Agnello, who is... A really prominent producer now has worked with Kurt Vile a lot. He's currently working on the new Courtney's record I, sh- I oh. saw, which is a band from Vancouver, British Columbia, that I really like as well. Did you have? Was he? Did you consider him a mentor?
1: Uh, I wouldn't say he ever specifically taught me anything. A lot of what I did was uh, learn by watching. Yeah, I just watched, and instead of actually getting to do a lot of uh, engineering or really immediate help other than being told, do this, do that, do the other. What I got to do was uh, just kind of learn a lot about being a producer by watching a variety of producers.
0: And what would you say was the most important thing you took away from your time there that you apply still to this day? Be
1: prepared for literally anything (laughs) and make the client feel as comfortable as possible. Rob Grenoble Said that the ethos of grooming the people that worked at his studio was to give them the demeanor of British butlers, so unflappable, ready to do at a dime. And uh, uh, did I say unflappable? Because he kind of beat the fear of God into me, and then back out of me, and then back into me. Did I mention also Joe Piscopo? <laughs> no, you did. Okay, because because it's gonna be a little all over the place. And, and now, good. Okay, because this is, this is hands down my favorite uh, water music story. Up there with j and his 200 pounds of meat. Up there with watching another intern get fired from an ankle perspective because I was under a fucking booth. <laughs> so Joe Piscopo was recording a comedy record at Water Music. And he brings in this old Gibson Lucille And I'm, like, teching on it. I'm tuning the guitar. I'm making sure it stays in tune. He's playing, like, some, you know, he's doing a bunch of different things. Like, he's doing kind of a riff bit around a bunch of songs that sound like Ring of Fire, including I'm on Fire. Like, (laughs) you know, doing this whole thing. But he's also leaning into his Sinatra shtick, including him uh, doing a talk bit with Dom Navello as Father Guido Sarducci but we're patching Sarducci in through an actual phone line <laughs> from the control room and it was one of those things where nobody in the room could could move a fucking muscle you this is how this is how important this client was the producer was allowed to smoke a fucking cigar in the room wow yeah and I, I was like that gave me pause and my mentor was like dude when you, when you're paying for this they can do whatever the fuck yeah, they yeah. want they're writing the checks I'm like yeah okay I get it. Just take their money and smile. Yeah. In, in some cases is a great ethos. Uh, but there, there was a moment in there when, when the phone connection was going, when Novella was talking through there, we couldn't speak. Wow. Because we would have gotten picked up. Um, and there were a couple of moments where the things being said were so fucking funny that I had to basically clamp <laughs> every orifice in my body down because I didn't want to be the guy who lost his shit in the middle of like a Joe Piscopo session where it mattered yeah. like I, that that just felt awful and they're they're going through well I was 17 that was a very good year and they're like riffing on the lyrics and of course the last you know, last bit of that song is, and now the days get short. <laughs> and Sarducci stops him. And he's like, oh, I, I don't
2: know if it's the days or that gets kind a of short. I think it's a you.
1: I think it's a metaphor. <laughs> you know, it's like the circumcision of the bones. <laughs> that is the phrase that hangs on me, circumcision of the bones. And that was like the one I'm like, ah. Damn. Not, not losing it, not losing wow. it. Wow. And you kept it. it together. I made it. I don't know how. You're a strong
0: person. That's in, why. No, I've never that? been in that type of situation where I had to just completely contain my laughter. I felt like I, if I had to, I could have left or something. You oh,
1: know? there was no way the door slamming would have been picked up on that yeah. recording, and because it's it's those huge studio doors. I've only ever really been in that place once more successfully. Yeah. Once my wife walked like ran into a wall cause she she got like immediately nauseous at smelling some food and I like laughed and I was like
0: I hated myself <laughs> yeah. while I was
1: doing it. I still hate myself saying it, but I can't help myself but start laughing thinking of it.
0: Sometimes that happens. It's all good.
1: Yeah. But like the other time it was my grandma's funeral. Yeah. And during the homily, I mean, you, you got a nice Italian last name. I yeah. assume you went to your uh, yes. fair of share of yes. masses. Yes. <laughs> well, my last name is Jewish, but I am also a nice Italian boy. And uh, I went to my fair share of those. And during the homily at my grandma's funeral, you know, everybody's fucking miserable. My mom had just died a few weeks or months earlier. Yeah. So like it was super somber. Everything sucked. And in the middle of this homily, like, you know, jackass young priest didn't know my grandmother at all, just talking, 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 getting more intense, and I don't remember what he's saying, but he's just working himself up to a fevered pitch, and then he yells, we are the people of the future, in <laughs> the middle the of the fucking homily. Damn. And it was just another one of those moments of, don't do it, you already threw up during your mom's funeral at sea. Don't don't yeah. be that guy twice in a year Max. Like
0: hey, it's okay. <laughs> it's, that priest fucked up there with I that line know. in the homily.
1: I wonder where he is right now cuz I don't care anything about him. In fact, I'm grateful for that special and ridiculous moment. But uh, like I Then mean, I'm not going to go up to my family and be like, yo, do you remember the the homily at Grandma Rose's Funeral? Like, <laughs> what the fuck was that? Like, there's nobody I can really could talk
0: it Could of. have been on drugs. Guy could have been on drugs, possibly. The Maybe. priest. You never know with those priests. But, so this is interesting to me, though, because you had this experience working at Water Music for a lot of years, and that's in the 2000s, the aughts, as they say. Yeah,
1: I, I, my time at Water Music was in 2011. Oh,
0: 2011. And I was okay. fired, technically. Okay, interesting. But then you opened up your own studio, and but you weren't thinking about working with other people, really. You were more thinking of doing your own, recording your own stuff. Why is that, though, even though you were working with a lot of different people in another studio setting?
1: I was kind of jumping from rock to rock. My best friend, uh, Johnny Rock, uh, is my partner here along with a third dude who came into the picture a little later, but he was somebody I'd been working with a lot in his basement in Caldwell, and the jump was from there to working with our band in Maplewood in a basement in the bass player's parents' basement which was just an amazing environment. We would just string up and live record, and he was always the recording guy. And so we just kind of kept looking for places to be recording guys in and over the time. In getting to work with my my now best friend in this way, it became that I started to become an engineer. I always liked to produce, but I was always also trying to do a lot of my own thing. So I guess what came of me doing what felt like the next logical step was right after 20 you know like 2012 2013 i started just kind of being the band guy the side guy and i would produce um while doing that i i started to sort of reassert myself as a solo artist only sort of recently yeah and and just as your roles grow and as needs become apparent you kind of just become like a swiss army knife you kind of Adapt to the job at hand, rather than saying, "Oh, I don't do this."
0: Yeah. So you you rediscovered yourself as a solo artist recently. You put out the Betamax EP in the fall, and now you just put out a song, Oz, pretty much that was completely instrumental. The most yeah, recent one, right? Yeah. That was
1: a, a remake of the theme from the song, the series Oz.
0: Ah, okay. That yeah. was
1: a, that was a commission that I decided to publish. Um, just because it was a lot of fun that was a show that my that johnny loved and i grew to love too because
0: that's a you ever watch that show no i do remember the penny yeah. p- not penny's boat or something that's the, <laughs> one, that's the one thing i remember but it's pretty
1: cool it's pretty ridiculous if you think about what a lot of those actors are doing now like you've got like jk simmons playing a neo-nazi You've got Christopher Maloney playing a psychopath going from that immediately to like Law & Order SVU. Yeah. You've got like half the cast of Lost uh on there Harold Parana, Atawale, like uh, all these really great actors in in this really ridiculous sort of late 90s edgy pseudo-edginess. But if you think about it, like that show kind of set the standard around the same time as The Sopranos did. Yeah fucking half the Sopranos was on that show too. Half the wire, like a lot yeah. of crossover in that world. So I, I published that, but Betamax, Betamax came about after I started performing live again as, as under my own name. Uh, Cause there is just this great upwelling through the Maxwell scene of uh, songwriters and people like Mike Kuzan who figured out how to herd cats and like get people to kind of coagulate around an idea so it was real easy to feel like i wanted to frolic around in that too because i was seeing a lot of people that had quite a bit of passion for it whereas i had maybe at another time burnt myself out or i was fulfilling a desire to be a component which is honestly where i derive quite a bit of joy is is as much of being a side man or uh, a foil within a, a group as i do doing my own thing
0: and what what sparked that it was did you feel you were scratching a creative itch maybe kind of re getting back into doing your own solo stuff as the main point person a little bit
1: like I had never stopped writing and I'd been writing in component of other groups I toured in a band called the devil Nellie's for a while and I wrote half of uh, a record we put out called delicious business most of those were my songs Um but under my own name, I had endeared myself to a number of people in, in a way that I found surprising, in, in a way that tells me that they would prioritize my music over listening to something else that I'm in, which, which is a really interesting feeling, especially when it's easy for me to get so excited about other people's shit. Uh, specifically, an old dear friend of mine, Jake Sachs, um, a recording engineer and artist in his own right now but we went to high school together and he was around you know he he played a little bit of synths on on round of sound on my first record and i had had the idea of betamax for a while like the name came to me like i don't know almost immediately after uh finishing round of sound like you know 2013 and then i just didn't do anything with it cuz i decided to throw myself into a lot of other projects And he just kept saying, when are you going to do Betamax? When are you going to do Betamax? And I'm like, yo, when are you going to grow a second dick? What's more likely to happen right now? Like, and eventually the compounding of all that. I'm like, fine. If it'll shut you up, I'll reward my creative pursuits.
3: (laughs) So, well, Jake,
1: Jake also was keen to be a part of it because I, I, mean, I had talked to him about being a part of stuff. So I started out doing a little bit of stuff just to wet my beak again. I did, I did some video game commissions. I did uh, an instrumental song that I had actually written when I was 16. A- and that's sort of been the, the theory, the, not the theory, but the lesson of the last few things I've done is to look inward and to look at things that I already liked and, and not to necessarily go for the newer thing but uh, to try and find ways to make things make sense, which is also why Betamax is an EP in a shorter form, because that that just feels in line with who I am right now. I kind of don't want to take up more than 20 minutes at a time with recorded music.
0: Interesting. Why is that? I just don't feel like I hold up.
1: I I feel like it's cool, but I I feel like I I make a more cohesive statement. Somewhere within the EP fragments, and, and I love records, I love that, but, but when I think about it from an anthropological standpoint, I think about a lot of just just jam-packed records, and I'm pretty sure Aniello talked about it on his podcast, where there's like 17 songs on a record, 17 songs on a CD, it costs $20, you've got the artwork and like no liner notes, And half the songs, if not all the songs, are complete garbage or something. Um, I just personally feel that way, and it's a philosophy I subscribe to when I talk to clients of mine, where I am all for batch creation, but if you think about it on a low tier, on a low rung, which is, in my experience, when people want to do a record the most it's not conducive to press cycles, it's not conducive to financial success, and what it will do, not only killing kind of this huge financial investment, if you do it that way in my opinion, is you'll also just fuck yourself emotionally, because you are really, doing a supreme effort here of emotionality by, by recording yourself, by putting these innermost ideas down it's, it's, it takes a lot out of you and if you want to recoup that emotional investment it, it to me makes more sense if you've got 12 songs uh, unless you really really can can argue with me that this is a perfect 12 song record and I'm not going to take that away from you of course I just do this to challenge how your people look at things but in my opinion if you've got 12 songs yeah you can record them all at once that's awesome but i would say release them in batches instead maybe put out a single every 6 weeks maybe put out an ep every quarter like just just finding ways to to continually be able to generate attention on new things is very in step to me with what the contemporary model looks like and i don't think that's a bad thing i think it's um a revisiting of what we dealt with in the 50s 60s where the medium was already at its capacity and we just kept pushing until we had literally infinite space so it's got to go back to something right yeah
0: how would you describe your sound to someone who's never listened to your music before? When I listen, I definitely hear like highly experimental jazz fusion, even psychedelic stuff. You really have a penchant for noise as well, working with noise. I do like my noise. Tell, For someone that's never listened to your music before your solo stuff, how would you describe it? Well, I mean, I would say Betamax is definitely, like, a noise grunge thing. Yeah.
1: And I would say that I'm an intense person, even when I'm being upbeat and chipper, because in a week I'm also going to be releasing a ragtime song, so, like, I don't know, I I do whatever. The first record was uh, very singer songwritery. it had a lot of, like, Paul McCartney-Ram influence. This record, Betamax, was very much, uh, like, a Devin Townsend influence, or uh just kind of influenced by the people around me the ideas had kind of crystallized i i would say i'm just a guy who likes to write songs and if you're going to see me live i'm going to try and do some shit that might make you laugh and will
0: most definitely make you uncomfortable <laughs> well that's good so tell us about this ragtime song so when you're basically writing songs are you really containing yourself to a certain genre or direction or do you sit down work on something as inspiration strikes because ragtime sounds like it's going to be very different from Betamax a which little, you just put out
1: you, you'd be surprised I'd
3: like to think <laughs> I,
1: I would like to think that over the grander scheme of my work I can I can leave a trail of breadcrumbs so that it's not completely out there it's 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 sort of my kinship with ween if i if i were to make a comparison not uh not to put myself in that echelon but when you hear mickey and aaron talk about it you hear them be like we're just making the music that makes sense to us we're just doing stuff we like to do other people put a lot on that And, and for me writing the song the ragtime song it's called all at once and it's a song I wrote about how I felt after my first date with my wife. And it just kind of happened. I was on a subway. A weird melody came to me. I literally wrote the song on the subway. It's not always that easy. And in fact, the times that it is that easy are really frustrating because if if it's that easy, often enough, you don't actually know how to put the real work into writing songs. Um, I think it just depends on where I'm at. It could be uh, it could be anything. I could write a country I-, I could write whatever I feel like, I can write whatever I'm being hired to write, and that's that's something of a privilege that I get to enjoy.
0: Cool. And tell me about the latest noise collective that you're a part of. I was watching your most recent video on basically playing Red Hot Chili Peppers uh, riffs on a Reverend in yeah. a guitar shop. Tell me a little bit about that. What that collective is, what the ethos is, the purpose of it. It's and a cult. It's a cult. I Excellent. Mean,
1: no. Uh, so the latest noise, the way I look at it, and of course Mike Kuzan is somebody that I, I should put you in touch with because he's got. It's his baby. Uh, he he will have the more definitive answer. But to me, the latest noise is a community building effort. I would I would describe the collective. I would describe it often more as a curation um, because that is where its hands are often found. Um, We've curated shows. We've done shows at White Eagle Hall. Uh, We've done shows at Maxwell's. It started a lot at Maxwell's, doing these latest noise lineup shows where you'd have a number of singer-songwriters and then you'd have uh, bands follow them. So going from there to actually getting these new singer-songwriters recording is part of where a lot of my early business uh, and current business is coming from. So fostering and emboldening uh, new singer-songwriters, people who are really trying to get out there and meet people, is is a big deal to me about uh, what The Latest Noise does.
0: Cool. And how important is community to you and collaborating for your solo work. I know a lot of solo artists that really do like to focus on their own work themselves and don't really work with others or take input from others. How do you look at your approach as a solo artist within this community of artists that you're a part of?
1: The big, the big
0: exercise on Betamax was
1: opening up my first record i did quite a bit of it myself um save for the drums this record was basically outsourcing everything uh that wasn't guitar playing or lead vocals i had a lot of background vocal help i had uh a huge huge collaborator uh in the form of nick potter's who's a drummer and and keyboard player extraordinaire i Just just having that bond and and being able to get in touch with my own vulnerability was huge. Because sometimes you can do these little insular things and they're great, but at the end of the day, to me it ain't music unless it's with a group. Yeah. You know, I had to I
0: had to feel that connection to people while I was doing this. And how challenging is that? Because from what I understand I'm not a musician, but speaking with a lot of musicians It is very challenging to trust in others that you collaborate with. It's definitely a process to know that that person can do something, make it sound well, and work well with you. It is. It's a risk. Uh, I I would like to think I've been
1: rewarded in the majority of my risks for that reason. I, I like to watch people perform. I like to know... I like to I like to get on with somebody before I I go in a room with them and and play them my music, if if I'm looking to work with them on stuff, so it can be very nerve wracking, especially for someone like me who. Hears a lot of things in post-production like in my mind i'm already imagining a fully materialized record and the fact that me with a guitar alone is not the full record pisses me off and endlessly so i have to fight my own uh visceral reptilian reaction yeah. to that but once we're past that i'm i'm generally fine with it what i think my responsibility in that is is to present a completed product to somebody uh so that they have a map to follow along with if they're supposed to be performing with me.
0: Really interesting. You're doing a lot of great work. I love Betamax, and your story is fascinating. Thank you. (laughs) So you're going to play a little bit for us. This is such a privilege and a treat to be here in your studio, and you're going to be playing some music right now. You got your guitar. Yes, I do. And you're going to
1: so i figure uh, maybe we'll start with that uh we'll start with that ragtime song
0: oh wow so you're gonna hear this ragtime song that max is putting out soon yeah so this is a song called all at once
1: uh it was one of those boil the water rip up the sheets the baby's coming songs and i wrote it right after the first date with my girlfriend at the time she's now my wife It's sort of in the Frank Zappa school of reasonable love songs. Um, It's called All At Once.
2: I don't wanna pine. I don't wanna frown. Gotta ruin my wine on a subway bound for Chinatown. And all at once I'm in the tunnels careening. My vision is clear. Cause I can get to happiness from here. I got my music, a guitar in my hand. Got the dimes rubbed together, and a pretty little lady who calls me her friend. And all at once, her head is on my chest. There's nothing to fear. And she can get to happiness from here. And all at once I envy no man. I'm cruising by a ticket, slow man. I cannot see tomorrow, but I know for a fact today is pretty cool. And all at once I know the meaning I got a local screening So check in from time to time See if you're in the sequel With me too I wanna pine And I don't wanna frown I don't want to stay too many days away from such a colorful town And all at once you hate to see me leave, you live to watch me go Oh, you won't shed a tear Cause you Cause you Cause you didn't know I had that note today. Cause you can get to our penis from here.
0: Woo-hoo. Sounded great. <laughs> I really liked that song.
2: You see what I mean though? It's just like some
1: sort of jaunty thing. It just—that's just what it came out as—is some Michigan, Michigan J Frog motherfucking song. Were,
0: were you listening to anything in particular that you think inspired that at Absolutely. the
1: time? Night at the Opera by
0: Queen, great record.
1: <laughs> to me, that record—it's—I mean, yeah, Bohemian Rhapsody is awesome. Uh, there, there is, to me, It, is, You're My Best Friend is the best love song I've ever heard. It's a beautiful song. It, and again, it's a reasonable love song. Like, you listen to the lyrics, it's not overwrought in the slightest. It's just a lovely sentiment. Uh, but in particular, there's a song on there called Seaside Rendezvous that is incredibly close to my heart because it, it for one thing, it's just camp as fuck. For another thing, you have this, uh, approximated breakdown where you've got roger taylor and freddie mercury and people pretending to be like brass section with their voice it's it's bullshit amazing yeah it is (laughs) so that's that's definitely that's definitely a huge influence on me uh let's see something that i might actually have in my range right now from from Betamax. excellent. I did Sprats earlier today at the um, at the the Hemophilia thing I was at, and I don't think I have that again right now. So I'm just gonna get weird ambient. <laughs>
4: Da da da
2: Try to picture a time of the day and the year when the air is a chill, so yeah, sharp, and I can breathe in that air under the shade of the trees. Under the shade of the trees, there's a place I can play if I have nowhere to go and I have nowhere to stay. Under the shade of the trees, there's a place I can play. I have nowhere to go and I have nowhere to stay Sun, acknowledging every thoughts as a piece of the leaves Gazing up at the leaves Let the thoughts drain away I can breathe in that hair Under the shade of the trees Under the shade of the trees There's a place I can play If I have nowhere to go And I have nowhere to stay Under the shade trees, there's a place I can play, if I have nowhere to go and I have nowhere to stay. a whole world outside i really should try and see
0: well that translates well that was amazing thank you very much max so like i said you're a very uh, diverse songwriter as far as what you're working on what you're writing in a very short period of time Is that important to you to just basically go with what is inspiring you at the moment? Or do you ever think I kind of want to sit down, work on stuff that kind of fits within this for maybe a EP or?
2: Yeah, yeah, I try to
1: go where the work takes me. And that can be my own work uh, as a guitar player Uh, in, in joining BWQ and becoming uh, the the live guitarist and yeah. de facto guitarist for BWQ, I began having to push myself to cover, uh, you know, the kinds of guitar tropes that somebody like Titusian or Jerry Rosenthal would yeah. have to pull out. And uh, a guy like Jerry has a very, very different vocabulary than I do. So working on some of that stuff was important for me. And uh, sometimes the work looks like that. Sometimes the work is writing a song that you can't perform, uh, writing a song you can't play yet. So learning how to play it because you can hear it in your head. It you don't have the the reflexes for it yet. Uh, but I don't I don't really get frustrated with things in terms yeah. of genre. I, I don't get hung up on those things. I like to feel expressive. A lot of times, that expression can be noisy. I love feedback because it's it's very immediate and it's very uh, controllable, and it's and it's as much a part of anything. Like you can hear the hum of the computer behind us. Like that's that's world building to me. Yeah, it, putting that kind of shit into songs. So I, I'm grateful that I can jump from project to project in, in order to stay sort of refreshed. In my own work, uh, as, as I get to it, I like to look at each record, each recording as a new opportunity to either refine or, or challenge a concept. So I would be looking at, at the two that I'm working on right now, and I guess this is me committing, but uh, I'm working on one right now that's essentially all within uh, my laptop at home through uh, the recording program Logic. As an exercise
0: to learn the program. Interesting, yeah. And it's going to be. You have this whole studio here, yeah. You know, and and so you just want to learn how to use it, you know, on uh, Logic on your MacBook, essentially, yeah. Yeah.
1: I also just can't be like it's unreasonable to think that I'm going to do all of my work here. Okay. Mm -hmm. And and there and it's a way for me to to stay productive and to flex different compositional muscles. Uh, because I've always had a, a a soft spot for ambient work. I've always had a soft spot for um, soundscaping and just obtuse things. I, I I take pride on in obtuse things. So to to work on that and to to be able to do things from home is important. So the limitation there is basically going to be whatever software instruments are in there as well as uh, perhaps my voice and a guitar should the songs call for it. Uh, the other one is going to be much more of an intense thing and and uh, I really, I want to see if I can make somebody completely anxious for the span of like four
0: songs straight. <laughs> That's good. So we've talked a lot about the sonics of your songs, but mm-hmm. you also have some very... Uh, just listening to the last two songs and listening to Betamax. Some of the lyrics are very uh, personal and, uh, you know, really hit the listener hard. How do you approach the lyrical themes in your songs and writing lyrics? Is it kind of the same way? Do you look to make someone anxious for four minutes or... Do you want it to kind of match some of the noisier, noisier aspects of your songs and the more experimental aspects, or is it more? You're more straightforward as far as writing lyrics.
1: I think it varies. I think for certain songs, uh, the lyrical work is pretty self-evident. Like for the first song I performed, the lyrics basically the song came out just fully formed, yeah. exactly as it was. Like the lyrics and the vocal melody were all I had till I could get a guitar. Uh, into my uh, into my hands and, and actually write a chord progression but like I had and th- they don't come out like that most yeah. of the time um, it depends I, I tend to use songs as ways to express certain sentiments when, when I'm compelled to make an expression that's kind of where uh, a lot of my emotional intensity yeah. gets to live so that it doesn't play havoc on my life because uh, I, I'm a person with a medical condition that can drive a lot of extreme emotions out of me and if I don't have a good place to put them then it becomes other people's problems and one of the guiding fears of my life is that my own intensity will alienate me from friends family colleagues and houseplants yeah. so uh, that is allowed me to make a nice uh, supple well for myself when I need to express things, and and those have been the things that have been best expressed. But I've also written sort of jaunty songs about having a crush on a girl that was into girls, and I had no idea. Like, I I, I want to write thing. I want to I want to write whatever I want to write. I love a lot of bands that are absurd, but I also appreciate the poignant things, and so they sort of mix. But the one that that really hits what you just uh mentioned is off of Betamax's drone drone was an exercise for me uh actually Mike Kuzan had given me a copy of A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle and I had been dealing with a personal anxiety in in words I didn't have at the time so in experiencing it drone sort of became conceptually about dealing with one's own self-pity and with what tolly refers to as the pain body so the idea of that being something that you can't really cut out of your life because it's the equivalent of cutting off an appendage was an important thing to acknowledge and within acknowledging that certain habits like excessive drinking for me weren't serving me any longer i was already threatening this thing's right to existence and i wanted to sort of fabricate like a really specific moment that I, that I kind of refer to as the panic attack in the park. And it's not that that was any outstanding moment for me, but it was a very specific, a very, very specific now that I think about it, uh, sort of world that I wanted to build. I wanted to build something like an afternoon in May outside of like maybe mod cup in the Heights. Cause it's right by this yeah. park Or it could be outside Empire Coffee, and you could be there and you could have smoked a little too much weed and been anxious about an interaction you had with somebody you care about. Like, oh fuck, is this the one that's going to keep them pissed off all day? And so you, you know, you smoke to try and calm it down, but it has the wrong sort of effect on you in that moment. And then you've got this idea of getting some coffee. And the coffee doesn't help either, you just, your heart rate goes up, you're caffeinating. you're more anxious than ever before. And I had this moment, this idea of sort of, like, being able to hear birds in my periphery, being able to feel the condensation of an iced coffee in my hand, the sun on my head, and, like, the screaming in my head. Yeah. So all of that happened, and, and I had to find a way to ornament it well, so I had a bunch of Maxwell puns. So, like... Uh, because i can't have a genuine moment of bonding i have to i have to i have to throw a little extra thing (laughs) on there but i guess i guess i would say that would be a grand artistic statement from me i wouldn't say a lot of my work involves that but this was one where i'm like all right we're really just gonna do it
0: (laughs) yeah very powerful and great backstory to that song it's really deep it's,
1: what's fun is that it actually, as I, as I wrote in the liners, um, it started out as the beginning of the other song on their spread. That's right, yes. And and to me, I had actually imagined the three songs as almost just a suite, as as almost like you could see them as one continuous song.
0: Yeah. I'll
1: right.
2: do I'll do one more. I'll right, do cool. I'll
0: do my own little arthritic Hey Jude. All right. So you're playing your own little arthritic Hey Jude. This song is called The End of Me, and then we'll. Talk records. Yeah.
1: So like around the fall to promote Betamax Jim Testo released this awesome article about me and NJ.com that brought up this issue I'd had with my hemophilia where like I'd fucked up my elbow and around the time that I was just learning to deal with that my mother was on her deathbed wow. and I wrote this song as sort of like a a little a little Dedication of perseverance through what felt like really poor odds for me. And I wrote this as just kind of an imaginary conversation with uh, my mother in my head. Because she actually passed while I was recording it. It's called The End
2: of Me. Lying down, will be the end of me. Anna D. Lying down Will be the end of me. I know you see The pain when I hit the ground When it's time to turn The music down If silence means It's fine to calm down then Keep it loud, we'll keep it strong. We can sing along to nothing. It's for for mama, cause how you see. Lying down will be the end of me. Lying down will be the end of me You'll see Life's too short to live your agony The salt guitar's the only home I know I can't let you in, but I won't let go, so we'll pour another round of sound. We can wash the tide, my soul's down. I will float away together, for mama, cause I know you see. lying down will truly be be the end of me thanks for letting me share that man
0: of course and music how therapeutic has it been for you dealing with your hemophilia diagnosis i did read that really great article by jim testa which details how you essentially had to relearn how to play guitar because of an issue with your elbow and for someone that has lived and breathed music for your entire life and worked in it your entire life that must have been extremely uh, challenging.
1: Well, lucky me, it happened at a time before I had any real, like, deal or anything going on for myself. I didn't have a whole lot going on in my life when it happened. Um, So, thankfully, after I figured out how to manage it by and large is when I got busy. So, uh, I think the biggest part of it was just figuring out how to get out of constant physical pain. Yeah. Um which I did through a combination of electromuscular stimulation and uh, working out and marijuana, honestly, because I could just be some other fucker on Percocets, uh ruining his life yeah. uh, through mismanagement of a chronic disorder that that rarely leads to good places. and that's something else that I that I feel very strongly about. But uh, honestly, Back uh, 2011, 2012, I didn't really, it was maybe around 2014 that I consistently got out of the constant pain, Uh, and I'm just grateful. I I knew that I was going to be somebody who made noise. I didn't know if I was just going to be yelling at people or what, but but noise has always been a very big part of my life. Um, I'm I'm just grateful that I can be here. Other words uh, fail me.
0: How much of your music is a reflection of that period in your life, too, where it seems like you were dealing with a lot of challenges and maybe not able to create music in the way that you are able to now?
2: Um, I would say
1: that it's been a few times uh, like this. Uh, There have been, uh, this is rarely uh, something that we can look at as one thing, but as more a spectrum, because I started really hurting my elbow in this way in 2005. Um, and I developed what's called a target joint. And a target joint happens when a hemophiliac bleeds into their elbow. Yeah. And uh, as you know, your blood contains iron. And as the, the, the injury heals, there is residual iron left in the joint, which then corrodes and causes more injury. That's part of how arthritis happens in general, but more specifically with a hemophiliac, that sort of thing. So over the course of 10 years of bleeding into the joint... you you start to see the confidence of a formative young man become timid and shattered. Uh, But what it did for me was it it definitely uh, was a a lot of my focus uh, started to shift. I started to write more things that might involve uh, left hand dexterity instead of using my right arm I was well I, I certainly wasn't going to join Megadeth or anything <laughs> like but I would write like one of my favorite things I wrote from that period is, is a riff this is the riff that got me fired from water music <laughs> Ben and then because uh, I was there with doing like a Stevens thing they needed a band and my band happened to be around and that was a riff we were recording Rob Grenoble walks by the live room he's like is that you playing guitar I'm like yeah are you playing it in a normal tuning I'm like yeah he's like why are you working for me you need to be making music so he just sort of sidelined me from working on sessions until I left. Which is fine, because the last band I ever worked on was a band called Madison Rising. And if you don't know who they are, they're basically a uh, Republican by numbers band. Um, (laughs) It was based... (laughs) uh, It's a very surreal thing. Um, It was the brainchild of somebody, I believe, who made their money either in engineering or software design. And then tried their hand at being an author and then uh, hired musicians to write music around his lyrics and then hired a veteran to be the face and singer of it. And they recorded their first record at Water Music and then stiffed the bill. Now that the recording studio has closed and nobody can be hurt by that. Fuck you, Purple Eagle Entertainment. You're terrible.
0: They sound like assholes. Purple like Eagle most, Entertainment. Like most Republicans. <laughs> just when you thought it was safe to be liberal. Yeah. I'm not making that up. That's that was insane. A it was... It, the, what, a fuck, what fucking pieces of shit?
1: It's, it's mainly the one guy. Everybody yeah. else was just sort of a casualty of the employment. Yeah. You know, if I'd gotten called in for that audition, I'd probably have taken it yeah. just to see where it'd go. Yeah. But... It was just so absurd to be up in the office photocopying copies of lyrics to a song called In the Days When Reagan Ruled. It's <laughs> so fucking lame. Oh my god. <laughs> it was just, look, I I don't mind Republicans. I, I kind of have to talk to them a lot because some people would rather see a, a person with a chronic disorder die and save the nickel, but that's another thing. Um. I I don't mind him. It's just all that weird straw man. Just, just make good music and be a Republican, for the love of fucking God. Like Johnny Ramone, yes. Like was Republican. Dave Mustaine is apparently a Republican, and I'm like, I am a big Megadeth fan, and I'm like, okay, I have to respect your point of view. You seem fine. Like, just, just don't be a stupid artist and also be a Republican. Like.
0: No argument here, Max. Let's play Sprats! And then we'll be back.
2: It's worth an awful lot I'd say it's worth the time that we've invested Why should we? I wanted to let you know The way that I'm looking at things Go let us drink to hell The grass is greener And my head is spinning I may forget my sale. If that's a cry for heaven Hope no one is in
0: Right, we're back we heard sprats <laughs> awesome song
1: a lot of people like that one I- i'm happy because on betamax it's like you get these two really heady songs and then like this random 90s bar rocker in the middle so a little for everybody
0: hey everyone betamax has a little something for everybody it's available on bandcamp on streaming services as well i'm not sure i've listened to it on bandcamp
1: I did see the purchase, by the way.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, anytime. I love purchasing stuff on Bandcamp. So, and you have a website as well. I do. Tell, tell everybody where they can find out more about you and listen to your music.
1: You can find me at maxfeinstein.com. I'm trying to treat my website right now as a Rolodex slash portfolio. So from there, you can find my personal music on the Bandcamp link. You can find my uh, studio work um, Instagram uh, fine music, uh, through that as well, and the hemophilia side of things is on another channel called The Spoony Bard, which is, uh, also featured there. Uh, I actually might have to update that link, but whatever, you can go check it out there.
0: Um...
1: There's a great
0: bio on your website, by the way. I enjoyed reading it.
1: Thank you. That was, that was uh, <laughs> Michael Mantovani from The Everymen. helped me with that.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. it's very well written. He, Tells he, a great story. Thank you. All right. So now we're going to go go buy Max's music on Bandcamp, and now we're going to play some records that Max selected from my record collection, which he hasn't told me what they are yet. You Since we're be- not at my apartment, he didn't need to pick them out. Sometimes I do episodes on at different places that aren't my apartment, <laughs> and so this is what happens. So tell me, so, what'd you pick? I'm ready to be surprised.
1: All right, so I figured it'd be really poetic if I started it with uh, the first record that I was exposed to while working at Water Music, which was Here Before by the Feelies yeah so that was literally day one was uh watching uh glenn mercer and bill million um go over specifically the mix of a song called again today
0: great song so
1: hearing that you know broken down hearing that guitar solo isolated was really fucking cool and it's not like I even did anything special. I just watched. And and just to see that and to be back in a recording studio and to be so in love with my surroundings, even though I had just raked the fucking gravel driveway and other shit that day it, and worked my ass off, just to see that that was what was going on was, was lovely.
0: So were you involved with that at all? Because that's a really interesting record. It's their first record in... That they recorded since, like nineteen ninety one, and it was in twenty eleven, so it was like twenty years. I wasn't since their first rec- last record. That was
1: the only session of the Feelies that uh, I had been there for. Again, purely by coincidence of that being my first day on the job, uh, but that just happened to be my the the song they were working on and mixing with Sean Kelly and uh i i mean i know the guy who took the album cover photo too uh that was zach green who ran the stained glass shop next door and of course that was a classic water music experience where the west end of hoboken would flood in a light drizzle yeah which which leads me to my second which is desperate ground by the thermals yeah! Specifically, and, and I don't know what you know about that record, um, but it was, again, also mixed at water music and, cool. and recorded there and uh, by Yellow. And I, I had left at that point, but I had been called back to help get ready for the hurricane. I had been... Because this was... This was uh, Sandy. Yeah. Was, like, we dealt it's with Irene. Irene was yeah. fine. And literally what is happening while i am helping uh, to to take all of the amps and all this other shit up to the highest ground in the complex is ann yellow is in there with the thermals and they're mixing the song our love survives wow it is it was this ridiculous poetic moment and yeah. I, i'm sure it wasn't lost on any of them yeah wow like they were they were mixing that record to the last minute so I, I got to help with that, and then I can't get into Hoboken for like three days after. Three days, yeah.
0: Were you living in Hoboken at that point? No, I wasn't. I moved about six months after. And you moved so, into right. d- d- uh, Jersey City? Hoboken. I lived at uh, 10th oh, yeah. and Clinton Street. Okay. From okay. like 2013 to 2015. Okay. So, so my Not far from water music. Yeah. No,
1: not at all. Uh, so my memory of that at first was like trying to get into check on this place and i'd make it to the the hill i'd make it to the bottom of the hill where it was flooded it was just completely flooded i have footage now eight years old of me walking up the overpass i had just like there was quicksand there was fucking quicksand uh, because the water had gotten underneath the soil as opposed to just soaking it from the top. Wow. So things, oh God, it was like that scene in Blazing Saddles. It was nuts. Uh, I i ruined a pair of jeans that day. Wow. <laughs> but uh, I couldn't get into town to check on my place or water music, and water music would just flood so relentlessly. In that area, there was a levee system we had in place. There was... And this was just for regular rain, not not, not a, a fucking. Hurricane. Yeah. Th- there's a deli down the street from here that got wrecked in it. shit It looked like when I saw them, it looked like the fucking hurricane started inside the deli. Wow. When I got to Water Music finally a few days later, I saw something that looked like it could have been outside a prog rock record, like on the artwork of guy uh, of of Sean with a hose hosing down components of outboard gear yeah. to 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 soak off the brackish water like cuz cuz it wasn't just it wasn't just rain water it was salt water it was sewage like water music water music got hit bad yeah. man so that was the record that was being mixed that was the last record up to the minute before that hurricane really got going wow so so that was so on the fucking nose um, what a story. Wow. So so those are lovely little uh personal bits and I'm like I'm happy I got to share those. Yeah. For there I guess we can get a little bit more mundane comparatively. I, I went with Breaking Glass by David Bowie. Low was my favorite Bowie record for Mine the longest too, time yeah. till till Black Star. Till Black Star Black Star to me is I have this sort of fixation with artists reflecting on their own demise, and I feel like David Bowie did it right. He he got to bring this wonderful and uncomfortably intense uh, thing together, and uh, it's just beautiful. But but Low was to me like the the perfect encapsulation of tragedy. Like it just, Bowie was like Shakespeare.
0: Yeah it's my favorite bowie record definitely and the i love the connection to berlin yeah everything about it
1: it's and, and warsaw the song on there is just so it, it, again it, it, to me it, it almost felt like a guiding star I, I used to spend a lot of time rehearsing in long island and i used to be taking the long island railroad at the most asinine like 2 a.m 3 a.m hours in the dead of winter, so, like, I felt... I was like, it must have been fucking freezing in Berlin. This is... This <laughs> yeah. is my little... This is my, my identification with that little... Like, those really yeah. dark motifs to me. I'm like, I can imagine Bowie wandering around a city at night and having this desolation. Yeah. Um, from there, when doves cry, Prince is huge for me. Very, yeah. very important.
0: I read that Prince is a huge influence on you, and you could definitely hear it as well.
1: The, the guitar solo on that song is outstanding. I I think Prince will never get the proper dues as a guitar player, uh, and I imagine in some more, I imagine like an alternate universe. Kind of like, what if Adrian Ballou had actually successfully been the lead singer of the Talking Heads after yeah. David Byrne left? Or, like, what if Clapton had actually done a record with the Beatles in the two seconds they considered <laughs> replacing Harrison with him? Yeah. What if Prince had become uh, Frank Zappa's guitarist instead of Steve Vai as the one I go to? Yeah, do? wow. Because they're very similar players. You hear the guitar solo on why you want to treat me so bad. I'm like... That is nineteen seventy eight. He recorded that himself. Yeah. That is that is Satriani shit about six years ahead of Satriani being broken mainstream. Yeah. So I love Prince.
0: Prince is incredible.
1: And the the final one is, is a bit is almost entirely arbitrary. It's uh Take the Skinheads Bowling by Camper. I love that
0: song. <laughs> I
1: only recently <laughs> heard it for the first time, actually. And, and I was just like, I fucking love this. Yeah. This is meaningless, and it's beautiful.
0: It's a great record, too. There's a lot of other great songs on that record that are really bizarre, surreal lyrics. Really great band and record, Camper Van Beethoven.
1: All right, I can't wait to dive into them.
0: Yeah. All right. We're going to play all those records right now. On Look at My Records. Maxwell. Fine Steins picks. We'll be back.
4: Still beginning, it will be the end The world we knew, washed away The life we led, led us astray And now we face, our greatest foe But we fear not, for we know Our love survives Our love survives
5: Bowling alleys all look the same Look the same, look the same There's not a line that goes here that rhymes with anything Anything, anything I Had a dream last night, but I forget what it was What it was, what it was Take the skinheads
0: Alright we're back Coming to the end of the program Max This was such a delight Coming to your studio Thank you for having me Thank you for playing Three songs live It was incredible What a treat So much fun hanging out But tell me What you got planned for the rest of 2020 It's basically just started So
1: Uh, I'm probably going to be doing a lot of recording. I know I'm I'm working towards more of my own work. Uh, The one at home is called I, Maxwell, and the other one is going to be called Fine Music, and they're going to be pretty weird and different uh, from each other. So uh, hopefully I'm not getting your hopes up too high. Uh, It looks like BWQ is getting ready to do more recording. Uh, I'm producing a group called illegal chicas right now. Uh, I just got done producing Dave Lockhart and the salt pepper ketchup band, (laughs) uh, and looking just for more opportunities to do whatever the hell it is. I'm always down to talk production with people. I am always happy to play guitar or bass on, uh, on things. I'll be out doing shows with Brian Rigby as his bass player, uh, For uh, a slew of 2020, he literally just released Hoboken Nights uh, this past Friday. It's uh, the 9th of February today, whenever this comes out. (laughs) But uh, Hoboken Nights is fucking awesome. You should go check it out. If you don't have any connection to Jersey Rock, it's totally for you because it's Jersey Rock with soul. Yeah! I don't know. I I like this guy, and I think it's because I know him as opposed to... Uh, I'll tell one quick story about how I walked out of a Dinosaur Jr. show because I didn't know Jay Maskus and I had a rehearsal to go to and I wasn't going <laughs> to cancel the rehearsal because Dinosaur Jr. brought a head, uh, an opening act with them and I didn't plan for it. Like, no, my shitty planning isn't going to sink this rehearsal. Jay Maskis doesn't know who I am. He doesn't care about me. He's not going to miss me, especially when I can go on Facebook and see everyone who isn't Kate Hester saying, Dinosaur Jr. killed it tonight, bro. (laughs) I don't want to take that away from anybody. (laughs) But I just never had that moment. Yeah. So, you know, I want to get to know you. I want to care about your music. Whoever's listening to this, like, flag me down. Let's have coffee. Let's talk about your record.
0: That's great. That's what I want to do,
1: and especially in an era where I could have added you on Facebook and then given you a slew of invitations to like something. I'd rather just care about you Yeah. and then like the thing you do yeah. because otherwise, who the fuck are you and why should I care? There you go. And I don't yeah. mean that sarcastically. Who are you? Why should I care? You have a million reasons for me to care about you. Come Uh, on.
0: It's true. Spot on. What a great time I had. 2020 is going to be awesome for you.
1: It's going to be awesome for a lot of people, I hope. Uh, I'd like to think it's going to be the best year of my life.
0: Me too. To date. Everyone, you've been listening to Look Up My Records. We'll see you next time.